Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring starship sofa and far-fetched fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Good evening, children of the night. This evening, you will not hear too much of me. I've got this irritating thing where my slight overbite causes my teeth to scrape against the hard palate, I think, of my mouth just right where my upper teeth are, and I'll get a blister, and if I close my mouth just right, it's very painful. Fortunately, this usually only takes a few days to clear up, and I'll be fine for another six months or so. And for those of you that might be curious about the dentistry that goes into it, I'll just let you know that the smell of a dentist grinding down your front teeth is something to remember. So, the short version is, I'm still watching Castle Rock, 
The episode that is current, as of this recording featuring Sissy SpaceX character, has been one of my favorites so far. Let's hear some stories. The first story of the evening is from D.C. Phillips, the author of Frightful Fables, the tales that leave you screaming for more. He has received praise for his dynamic and darkly ironic style. As a native of Atlanta, Georgia, D.C. cites Southern folklore and classic horror as two major influences. He is currently hard at work on several projects and welcomes communication via Twitter, at Frightful Fables, and email, frightfulfables at gmail.com. Links to both of those will be in the show notes. Children of the Night, lend me your ears for a reading of D.C. Phillips' Something Followed Him Home, originally appearing in Mr. Phillips' Lurking Evil collection of stories. I was sealed down there in hell for three whole days, and you expect me to be all right? His pupils were hollow, his cheeks ripe with rage. Nadine stared back at him until she couldn't bear it any longer. She looked away, eyes quivering. Those were the first words he'd spoken since the emergency crews had repelled six stories down into the gut of the earth to pull him out. He was the only survivor, as far as anyone knew, of a freak chain of events. Between the gas leak and the coincidental flooding, and the town officials closing up the single entrance exit that led down into the primary shaft to contain the noxious fumes and the rising waves, the others didn't stand a chance. In the 100-plus years since the town's inception as a mining camp, no one had witnessed such a senseless loss of life. Everyone was baffled, terrified, frankly, by his survival, not to mention ashamed of their own cowardice and obvious oversight. They'd only gone back when a couple of kids playing clandestinely in the quarry heard moans and groans echoing up from the subterranean depths. I, I was just asking if... I know damn well what you're asking. You're asking me to smile and pretend everything's hunky-dory. Fine, 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 I'll play along. His hands moved up to his face, pushing his gray stubbled jowls back in a hideous false grin. Is that better? he wailed. Is that fucking better? His voice emoted the grief pent up inside, and she could tell that he, too, was near tears. She'd only seen him cry once in their sixteen years together when his brother had passed away. He let out an anguished growl and stormed out of the bedroom they'd shared for so long. The cozy abundance of furniture, trinkets, photos, even the practical, full-size bed that occupied a quarter of the space, suddenly felt stifling. That night, like every other night since the incident and subsequent rescue— Nadine cried herself softly to sleep. With each stifled shudder, she drew nearer to the fitful sleep, a sleep that would barely engulf her, tease her senses. She would rest just enough to disorient her system. She knew that the odds were great that she'd wake up in an empty bed, that her hand would grope the empty indentation by her side, that she'd have to call the cops again. Vince had been home for a handful of nights, and of those few nights she'd had to make three emergency calls. 
The first night's ordeal had caused an almost unbearable panic. But by now, she'd grown accustomed to the routine. She knew where they'd find him. Out by the quarry, naturally. Officer Dallas, what was her name, uh, said they'd located him stumbling towards the exact damn hole they'd fished him out of days ago. And why, on God's green earth, would he want to go back? When Nadine simply stared back after offering her meek and frankly drained, thanks, Officer Dallas just looked at the both of them like they were crazy, and then left. For each subsequent visit, she had less and less to say. She'd only offer a tisk-tisk and be on her way. On the last occasion, however, which took place three nights ago, or was it two, he'd been more coherent upon his return. Upon his request, Nadine heated up the morning's carafe of coffee, and she'd sat next to him in the kitchen as the boiling hot beverage cooled. He seemed on edge, like a junkie going through withdrawals. "'We need to talk,' he announced in a husky tone. His eyes darted restlessly from one wall to the other. She stared back imploringly, but he managed to elude her gaze. "'I don't know how to say this, but—' She waited." Waiter options. She could interject, or she could wait. To remain silent or to offer commentary, either could be dangerous in his current mood. As she parted her lips to speak, he completed his thought in a tumble of words. Something followed me back. Although she tried her best to maintain composure, confusion must have registered on her brow. I don't expect you to... to get it. I just need you to hear. For the love of God, I need somebody... To hear me. Tears spilled single file from each eye. Vince, I can't stand to see you like this, Nadine whispered. How can I help you? Anything, I'll... No, he choked, lifting a single finger and pressing it gently against her lip. When I go out at night, you know, since the accident, it's like I can see myself getting up and walking, and I know where I'm going, but I don't know why. I can't stop myself. It's like an out-of-body experience. I'm not in control, and I'm scared, Nadine. His hand dropped to the table, and he shook his head. Something followed me out of there, and whatever it is wants me back. Vince, I can't imagine what you've gone through. L like you said, it was hell. Maybe you just need somebody to talk to. You know, a professional. There's, there's no shame in it. Vince gritted his teeth and pushed out a huff of breath. I'm not crazy, Nadine. When I'm walking, when I'm not in control, I hear things, too. In response to her pained yet silent expression, he threw up his hands and pushed back his chair. Standing, uttered the last phrase she would hear him say. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. It's no use. I just want you to know. You know I love you. She was stunned into silence, and she knew anything she said would only add fuel to the ever-dormant argument. He stared intently, longingly, into her eyes and repeated, Something followed me back. And with that, he stumbled out of the kitchen and banged his way along the hall to the bathroom, where he'd lock himself away until bedtime. He jerked from side to side the desperate movements of a junkie without a fix for the foreseeable future. Nadine went about her business, occupying her hands with menial tasks while her mind raced. Although this evening would go more or less as planned, it would end differently than the rest. Sure, she would call the cops. Sure, they would head out into the night. But this time, they would make it all the way into the cistern, out by the wooded town border. This time, they'd find him dead. But that news would come as no real shock. The manner of death, however, would be shocking. 
and when police questioned Nadine regarding the ligature marks that had been found around her husband's neck, she simply stared ahead in a daze and whispered into the dead of night, Something followed him home. That was D.C. Phillips' Something Followed Him Home, as read by me, fortunately recorded before my mouth started acting up. Link to my personal page will be in the show notes. Our second story of the night is from Caspian Gray, a used car salesman who has previously worked as a funeral director's apprentice, a pet nutritionist, an English teacher in Japan, a Japanese teacher in America, and a crystal healing expert in a head shop. He currently lives in Columbus, Ohio, the arch city, where he shares a home with a tall man and a small baby. And now, children of the night, it is time for Caspian Gray's Separation Distress, originally appearing in Andromeda Spaceways In-Flight Magazine number 60, from September of 2014. We cornered the last vampire frag in the parking lot next to the stadium. It was short and blonde and still looked more like a woman than a monster, even down to the battered Uggs on its feet. We'd wiped out the rest of the vampire, and the remaining piece appeared to be in shock. It huddled against the wall, arms over its face, cringing instead of defending itself. The three of us with guns drawn seemed like the most awkward kind of overkill. Nishimura raised her arm, and gestured for us to move forward. Occasionally, single fragments go rapid, or retain enough of their original sentience to act even after the vampire whole is effectively dead. McDunn cocked his gun. Hold fire, snapped Nishimura. Simmons, check it out. We'll cover you. I holstered my gun and took a few tentative steps forward. Before I dropped out of college, I took a few courses in vampire psychology, so whenever there's touchy-feely work to be done, Nishimura nominates me to do it. It's okay, I murmured at the frag. Can you talk to me? It covered its face, peering at me through the gaps between its fingers. That's right, I crooned. It's okay. You're okay now. 
Freshly turned vampire frogs, and this one certainly looked new, usually respond well to reassuring talk in gentle tones, if you can separate them from the rest of the vampire. I kept murmuring to it while I pulled out a syringe, trying to keep its attention on my face instead of my hands. It keened low in its throat and clawed at me, a gesture that might have been meant to hurt or ask for help. You're okay, I lied. Just hold still a little longer, and everything's going to be okay, hmm? Wait, it croaked. I pulled back. It's aware of its surroundings. Nishimura started to speak, but McDunn fired. The frog crumpled, still keening. God damn it, McDunn! Nishimura smacked him in the chest. Do you know how much OSU is paying for dead vampires? Nothing. You know better. I bent down, but the frog didn't look mortally wounded. This close, you could see all the hints of a vampire fragment. Waxy skin, pupils dilated large enough to eat the iris, sharp teeth. If we get it to the labs quick, I bet they'll still pay, I decided. He just shot it in the leg. Yeah, I can aim, said McDonough rubbing his sternum and glaring at Nishimura. I wasn't trying to kill it. I just didn't want it to go ape shit on Simmons. He shot a grin in my direction. You two ladies are such delicate flowers, and I wouldn't want to see you getting hurt. I rolled my eyes, and he started for me and the frag. I held out a hand. Hold on a second. Let me inject it first. I don't want us driving around with a conscious vampire in the car. I twisted its arm, looking for veins on the inside of the elbow. They were thin and deep below the skin. It hadn't fed in a while. Maybe it wasn't even used to drinking blood yet. Please, said the frag when I touched it. Want. And then there was something swelling inside my skull. Something wrong. And that was all. I woke up in the back of the car. McDunn was driving and Nishimura looked at me with an expression I couldn't read. Are you all right? She asked. Yeah, of course. I blinked a couple of times and tried to sit up. My head hurt. I still felt full of adrenaline and dread. Where's the vampire? Nishimura pressed me back down. Relax. McDunn shot it. Again. That's right, I shot it, snapped McDunn, glaring at us in the rearview mirror. It must not have been the last frag after all. Did that thing just try and turn you? I shook my head. Nishimura kept staring at me. Yeah, I admitted. Well, no. Maybe. It tried to get into my head, but it didn't. Nishimura nodded and finally looked away. We must have missed another frag then. That one wouldn't have had the strength to try something like that without the full vampire intelligence behind it. Wait, if we missed one, where are we going? That thing could kill someone, or turn enough people that when we come back we'll be facing a full vampire again. Nishimura shook her head. If it's the only one left, the likelihood that it'll be able to turn anyone, much less a new hole, is low. We can come back and finish this tomorrow, as long as somebody else doesn't jump our kill in the meantime.
It'll be dawn soon. I don't want you near any vampire frogs until you've spent some time in the sun. Don't be ridiculous, I snapped. I know the odds are low that it'll kill someone, but they're not non-existent. If that frog snaps and kills, it'll be our fault. Not legally, it won't. Nishimura kept her eyes on the back of McDunn's head. Ethically? Well, if you're stupid enough to wander around an infested area without taking any precautions, I say the gene pool is better off without you. Jesus Christ, said McDunn. I don't know what you two are getting all worked up about. If we'd just stuck around for another ten minutes, we could have tracked down the other one and I'd shot it in the face too. Shut up and drive, McDunn, said Nishimura, almost mildly. If either of us wants to know what you're thinking, we'll ask. Jesus Christ, said McDunn again, but quieter this time. It felt like a long drive back to my apartment. I pulled the blankets off my futon when I got home and dragged them onto the kitchen floor, the only place in my apartment that would catch the sunlight as soon as dawn broke. Sleep came fast. I didn't dream. I never do, but something kept waking me up. Twice I felt sure there was a vampire frog standing next to me, and I woke gasping and reaching for imaginary weapons. I woke up for good in time for the lunch hour news, and clicked on the TV, bracing myself for a story about a murder by a rogue vampire frag on campus. Nobody had died, but the news mentioned us in brief. At least one of the vampires currently infesting the Ohio State University campus appears to have been wiped out last night. A local hunter group, led by veteran Atsuko Nishimura, has taken credit for the kills. Among the vampire fragments, was former OSU student Jennifer Harris, whose parents will be featured tonight, talking about the loss of their daughter and their feelings about vampire rehabilitation. Tune in at six for the whole story. McDunn must have called in our claim the second he got home. Nishimura would be furious with him when she found out. Now, if that frag did kill anyone, people would hold it against us, whether we were legally culpable or not. I wondered if I'd have time to watch the interview with the Harris before you went out to finish the job. The idea of vampire rehabilitation is really popular among people who have never actually seen a vampire face-to-face. -face. I saw the frag again a few more times that afternoon, out of the corner of my eye. I knew it wasn't there, but I knew with equal surety that it was real, and that it wasn't the only one. We'd left more than a single fragment behind. In some form... The vampire survived. I killed time by trying to clean the apartment. No one came over anymore. McDonough and Nishimura were the closest thing I'd had to friends, since I realized I'd rather hunt vampires than pledge Kappa Psi Omega, so I never had reason to pick up after myself. I sorted laundry into white and not-white piles, and took out a couple bags of trash. Somehow, seeing flashes of that frag around the apartment made me feel even lonelier than if I'd been completely by myself. Nishimura called while I was trying to figure out if the pile of dishes in the sink was the source of the kitchen's mildew smell. Simmons, did you call the news? She asked, not bothering to say hello. Of course not. I saw it, though. Goddamn McDunn. I'm going to kill him. I almost laughed. 
If you knew it was him, then why'd you bother to call me? Did you sleep? Yeah, I slept. In the sun? Yeah. For how long? I don't know, a couple of hours. I gave up on the dishes. Why? I want to go after that last frag now, instead of waiting for tonight. Now that McDunn's out at us, I don't want to give it the chance to kill anyone. I took a deep breath. It's not a single frag. What? It's not alone, I said, speaking too fast, as if speed could prevent Nishimura from evaluating my words. I thought that the last one we took in was all that was left, but it must have just been too far from the others to access the group mind. There are at least two more frags out there. Nishimura spoke in a low voice. Two? How do you know that? My vampire psychology classes. The way that last one, Jennifer Harris, moved. It was bothering me, and I couldn't figure out why, so I looked it up on my old textbook. Classic separation distress. Nishimura paused for a long moment. Then her voice was monotone. You're lying. No way, Itsuko. Google it. Separation distress. It causes frags, especially new frags, to suffer physical pain if they get too far away from the group mind. I know what separation distress is. She paused. Are you sure you're okay to do this now? Absolutely. I smiled into the phone. Nothing I like better than fishing sleeping vampires out of their holes. Let's bring them into the sun, huh? Nishimura hung up. The late afternoon sun shone bright, and the OSU campus crawled with students. We got a few stares. The news had shown an old file photo of the three of us with their story, taken back when Nishimura was twenty pounds lighter and before McDunn's hairline began to prematurely recede. I was still the same skin and bones brunette as in the photo, though I'd stopped wearing makeup and maybe stopped trying so hard. We headed for Brown Hall, a building recently scheduled for demolition. That was where the vampire had been hanging out, feeding mostly on students who broke in after dark to tag the walls and prove their daring to groups of friends. The funny thing, and this happens a lot, is that the rate of disappearances actually went up after the rumor started that a vampire was camping out there. People are impossibly dumb. You look pale, said Nishimura. I'm not. I fingered my holster. I told you I spent all morning sleeping in the sun. McDunn broke in between us and peered at my face. She looks fine to me, he announced. Eyes aren't weird or anything. Nishimura shook her head but kept walking. We swept through the upper floors of brown quickly. Except for a few closets, all the rooms were exposed to sunlight. Even in the sun, it was creepy. One of the rooms had a catwalk high up on the wall, the metal warped so that it hung at an unusable angle. Dust motes swirled through the air, casting shadows larger than themselves. Some of the rooms had tiny doors tucked into the corners, and I kept expecting something very small and very fast to burst through one of them and attack us. I'm sure it cleared out, said McDunn. No way would it come back to where we wiped out the rest of it. It's here. I wasn't seeing it out of the corner of my eyes, but I could feel it like a tug at my throat. Both of them turned to look at me. How do you know? asked Nishimura. 
I shrugged. We wounded it pretty bad last night. I mean, we took out five of it, right? So it's not in good shape. It's going to hole up where it feels safe. And I'm pretty sure it's been using this building for a couple of months, at least. How big do you think it is? Nishimura asked. She knew. The way she was looking at me, she had to know I wasn't getting this from a textbook. I'm guessing there are only two frags left. It felt like two. The largest vampire in the world was rooted out of Hong Kong in 1996 and had 34 different fragments, but most vampires have between four and seven. Anything bigger than ten has to be reported to the fens. I've only run into a vampire that big once, before I took up with Nishimura. It's not the sort of thing you want to do a second time. Why two? asked McDunn. Quiet, ordered Nishimura. Let's go. I didn't know whether to be grateful or embarrassed. McDonald shrugged it off, and we headed for the stairs. The minute we started going down, something changed. It was like a faint smell or different air pressure. I don't really know how to explain this to someone who has never fought a vampire. When you read after-the-fact accounts, there are always a million obvious clues that should have told the hunters something was wrong— it's not that we ever miss those clues, it's just that they're there on every hunt. Something's always wrong. If we balked every time, vampires would never get killed. Nishimura and I both knew something wasn't right, and McDunn probably did too, or he wouldn't have forced us back there so quickly by calling the news. It's not that we didn't realize, it's that we didn't know how to do our jobs any other way. The basement of Brown had been divided into a multitude of tiny rooms by stacks of filing cabinets, all of them now empty. We moved through them in a tighter group than usual, giving most of the possible hiding places only a cursory once-over. Last night, the vampire was in the back. There was no reason to think that it wouldn't be in the same place tonight, no matter how much less it was. I was searching one of those little alcoves of filing cabinets, and had visual contact with McDunn. Something crashed and I heard two shots fire. McDunn ran around the corner towards them, and when I went to follow, a hand reached out and grabbed my wrist. There was a spark of something that passed between us, and it was very, very cold. I felt the vampire, wearing three bodies that were scattered around the basement. Two of them were old and comfortable, but the third one was new, still fighting it. I could feel its mind convulsing weakly. The vampire had turned it less than an hour ago, and it was already mostly gone. Desperate measures, said the frag holding me, staring into my eyes. I used to kill freshly turned fragments if they didn't fight back hard enough. I twisted my arm around in its grip and tried to get a shot off at its foot, but missed. It snapped my wrist. I screamed and dropped the gun then bit down on the inside of my cheek to keep from screaming again when it ground the bones together. Call them off, said the frag. Or maybe the vampire itself, giving me its full attention. Tell them that I won't kill them if they leave. If you say it, it will be true. I spat blood. The frag stared at my lips. I remembered Jennifer Harris's shriveled veins and wondered if it was hungry. You're only three. I forced myself to smile. 
they'll rip you apart. Actually, it said, voice so low, I'm quite nearly four. Textbooks downplay the impact of a vampire bite, and academics constantly criticize the popular media for glamorizing it. Survivor accounts always say the same thing. A vampire bite doesn't hurt. All those accounts are right, because it doesn't. But all of them are wrong, because it does. I died. Every vein and artery filled with fire. I felt more pain than human nerve receptors can naturally relate to the brain. I couldn't breathe, and realized with giddy terror that I no longer needed to. I woke up. I was me, like I'd always been, but more, because one of me was holding my wrist, and I saw me through my eyes, young and skinny and infinitely pliable, and there was me that Nishimura had shot at, hiding behind a file cabinet and watching as McDunn tried to scoop up an unmoving Nishimura into his arms, and last and least of all, there was poor sad junkie me who'd only been turned an hour ago, hiding and terrified and clinging to the fading knowledge that I was still a human being and not an it. One common misconception about vampires is that there's some kind of overmind that guides all the fragments. There's not. You just become one. And it's the only true thing in the world. I would never have to be alone again. I let me go. I crept carefully towards Nishimura and McDunn from the other side of them. I scratched my fingers along the track marks running up my arms and tried to come down. McDunn tossed the wounded Nishimura over his shoulder. Only one of the shots I'd heard had been hers. The other was mine, and it had taken her down. Nishimura was probably dying. McDunn aimed his gun at one of the corners I was skulking behind, but I crept around the cabinet silently lining up to ambush him from three directions. Shit, said Nishimura. Blood was seeping between her teeth. I wanted to lick it away. Where is Simmons? Did they get her? Simmons! Simmons! She only yelled once, and then she was quiet again. Yelling must have hurt her. I hoped it hurt her. She'd personally killed three of me last night. But when she said my name, I wanted to go to her. All of us took a step forward. McDunn fired, and I went down. I pounced him from each side, wrapping two hands around Nishimura's throat and using the other two to disarm McDunn. Simmons, said Nishimura. Not like a woman bleeding from a bullet wound with a vampire frag perching on her chest— but like a woman who was used to ordering around male hunters who were twice her size. Simmons, what the hell are you doing? I paused. Not the me fighting with McDunn, and not the me trying to staunch blood from where I'd just been shot, and not the drugged-out me with a mind like static. Just Simmons me. I blinked at Nishimura. Simmons? She sounded irritated. You are not a frag. Now get off of me and shoot that one at McDunn, or I swear to God I will skin you alive before this is over. I actually started to stand up, to move away and go get the gun to do what she said. But she had killed me last night. Three of me. 
I wrapped my fingers around her throat again and slammed the back of her head into the concrete floor. She looked surprised. McDunn was fighting back just as hard. He got off another shot, not at the me wrestling with him, but at the me he'd already shot once. That me dropped. The human mind is a flexible thing, and the mind of a vampire frog is infinitely more so, but over the last two nights this vampire had gained and lost too many fragments, suffered too much change with no time for the new frogs to feel each other out and breathe each other in. Only one original fragment remained, outnumbered by a hunter and a junkie, both of them turned within the last two hours. Suddenly the world was still, and all of me had time to inhale at once. Then there was nothing holding us together. McDunn threw the oldest of the vampire frogs across the room. I let go of Nishimura's throat and tried to put her head down gently, despite the blood. McDunn shot the other vampire frog twice, and I screamed. I woke up in the car again, but it wasn't going anywhere. I was laid out across the back seat, but I'd also been awake for quite a while and was trapped in the trunk. McDunn was watching one of me like it hurt him. What happened? I took Atsuko to the hospital. I wanted to take you too, but... He met my eyes. You don't look too beat up. Why am I in the trunk? He winced. Don't do that. Say he. You can't be him. You can only be you. Just one person at once. It was hard to concentrate. I'm scared. You don't have to be. Everything is going to be okay. No. I closed my eyes. Not me. Him. He's scared. I made the right pronoun come out, the one McDunn wanted to hear. But I didn't mean it. Nishimura would have known the difference. Are you two... No. Yes. I don't know. I licked my lips. He was only turned an hour before me. We, they, just grabbed him. They were hurt and he was there. I don't think he knows what's going on. He looked like a homeless person. He was. Is. Some kind of junkie. I don't know. Will you take him out of the trunk? McDunn touched my face. I don't know if the vampire is still alive. Of course we are. I shook my head. I don't think so. We were turned, but we were part of it for such a brief time that I don't think it survived the destruction of the other frags. One of them was the original fragment, so losing that one alone probably destroyed it. Probably? It's gone, McDonough. Jesus Christ. He looked at me for a long time. What do I do? Drop me off at my apartment. Take the junkie in the trunk as far away as you can get and dump him. Don't kill him. Hopefully the separation will stretch whatever connection we have. And it'll snap. There's no group mind. We're just... touching. McDunn nodded once. You should probably... He swallowed. Even if this works, you should probably head out of town before Nishimura gets out of the hospital. He met my eyes. Just in case.
I did my best to smile at him. Just in case. I waited until we were parked in front of my apartment before I hit the back of McDunn's head with the butt of his gun. The first hit only surprised him, and I had to do it twice more before he slumped down against the steering wheel. Blood welled up out of the scalp wound, and I stuck my finger in it and tasted it. McDunn. I hoped he wasn't dead. McDunn had killed me, sure, but he'd also saved my life any number of times. And he was my friend. I popped the trunk and took the keys out of the ignition, then made my way to the back of the car. I was still lying in the trunk, blinking at the sudden light. And I stared at me, all love and pity and fear and one. And I offered myself a hand up. Come on, I murmured. Let's get out of the sun. That was Caspian Gray's Separation Distress as read by Heather Thomas. Heather Thomas is a jewelry expert by day and master of none by night, dabbling in costuming, art, music, writing, and narration. She is a lifelong fan of all things horror and enjoys reading stories and novels to her friends and family when they let her. She lives in Denver, Colorado with her husband and her spoiled, rotten cat, Ani. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show was produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.